Hello and welcome to another episode of We Ain't Got No Podcast. Um, first of all, Happy New Year to everyone listening to this podcast. We hope you have a superb 2020, that it's even better than 2019. As for Chelsea, it has not immediately been as good as 2019 ended off. We've just drawn one all against Brighton or Albion. It's not exactly not exactly how our pockets picked either. Um, it was a performance that we will dissect in this episode of the podcast, along with other things. And I'm aside Jimmy Funnel today, as always. Hi, Jimmy. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Ram. Uh, great start to the year, isn't it? Yay. Yeah. Yeah. Yikes. <laughs> well, um, that was yeah. That was Jimmy, and our special guest today is a returnee. Who has been on this podcast before? Asmat, hello. Hello, boys. Uh, happy New Year to you and yours, and everyone else out there listening. Uh, holiday greetings, and like you said, a fruitful 2020. Looking forward to yep. good things. Uh, it also happens to be Hasmat's birthday, so that's that's pretty cool. <laughs> so happy birthday, Hasmat, from Jimmy, I, and yeah, from us. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate it, boys. From Thank the people you. that matter yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> on right. this podcast. Yeah, no problem. Yeah. One year older, hopefully one year smarter, one year sexier, you know, one year richer, all those things. Yeah. And, and yeah, you know how it goes. Well, do we want to get right into the game then? How, 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 do you, how do we feel about what we've just witnessed? How do you feel, Has? It's your birthday. Well, well. <laughs> Yeah, I'll start on a positive note. Um, isn't Reese James just the most adorable little refrigerator you've ever seen? He is, like, yeah. He is just, he's just an absolute wrecking ball. And, and he has the skill to match, which is a deadly combo. It's always fun seeing him out there. And, you know, not so fun for the other team. You know, they, they kind of made him the pantomime villain uh, in during the game with their jeers and boos and that. But... It's always nice to see Reese James in the lineup. Yeah, I mean that was one of the positives to see them get so riled up by his uh, robust display. But eh, you know, I was looking forward to talking about this or his performance on the podcast. But after that disappointing draw, which, as Ram has already said before the uh, before the recording, kind of feels like a as if we lost, and that's not a nice feeling. Because, <clears throat> uh, yeah, I'm already f- pretty much under the weather, and this has just made me more ill watching that. Uh, I don't know. It's Before before we really get into the uh, game today and the parallels that were with regard to the Southampton game, I think we should talk about more joyful... <laughs> Um, games which we watched recently and that was the two derbies London derbies that we did win I think we will just break that down into those two and then we'll continue with the less uh, joyful ones and that's why I think we should start with the Arsenal game because I mean Tottenham's already been quite quite a while ago now but um, yeah Tottenham uh, wasn't ready for our tactics. 
we completely surprised them. Jose got our tactic. It was a bit of a different story against Arsenal. Um, wins a win, but we seemed a bit shaky at times. Or what do you uh, boys think? <clears throat> a wins yeah. a win, but that was another win, as they used to say on the FIFA commentary. Uh, no, that that was Arsenal was weird. It was we got completely outplayed before Jorginho came out of the pitch. But then after that, see, I know we won the game, but then it it kind of took for an error from Birdland or to actually make for for us to actually make some head, concrete headway into the game because I feel as if we're we're just not creating the same type of chances as we were earlier on earlier on in the season. And I mean that kind of opened Arsenal up and then we hit them on the counter obviously, which is how we got our second goal. And it was a class goal, but the the creation problem is still kind of ringing true. I mean th- there's a lot to admire about the way we showed spirit and everything. But I, I just can't help but feel that we rode our luck a little bit. I mean, you do create your own luck, and you have to make the most out of things when situations arise. But it's, it just feels like a kind of underlying problem that we should not be disregarding entirely. So I was very happy with the win, but then I was also just thinking about our creation problems as well, and that's kind of rung true in the next game. So, I, I mean, I don't, know, I don't know if you agree with that, Has. Uh, well, I agree with, I feel like, the points you made, but maybe not the overall feel. Uh, it definitely, it, it seems a bit uh, more cynical than I would put it. But one parallel that I did want to draw between the two matches, if they were different themselves, is my reaction. And I think I feel like the general Chelsea fans' reaction to the lineups when we heard it, more, more specifically the, the systems that we were going to play. And I feel like that was consistent for the last three matches where I think, at least in my view, there was a oh, like a negative initial reaction to us starting with three at the back. But it worked definitely. It showed out better against Spurs, and I, I do have a theory on that. But in the other two matches, you know, it, it people's concerns were meted out in what happened on the pitch. And... Um, it was good on Frank and good on the team, good on Jorginho being able to make that change and for him to be that impetus to just completely turn the match around in Chelsea's favour. Well, I mean, that that's true. Uh, Jorginho's role in that, well, comeback was undeniably huge. Um but I have to agree with with Ram. It's kind of this feeling of being unable to create overly uh, much chances is just kind of depressing. Because I mean, team... Lampard kind of hinted at that in his yeah. press conference as well, didn't he? He said we are... twice already actually. Yeah. yeah, but we're having a lot of the ball, but then we're not we're not looking like we're going to score goals. That's... That was kind of the problem last season as well. I mean. It... I know Lampard doesn't play exactly like Sorry. Um, yeah. Not getting this open that you know, there's the Pandora's box, but I think that that has remained a genuine problem, and we don't really have those kind of creators. Eden Hazard, of course, was the kind of guy who could just create something out of basically nothing, but 
we don't have him anymore. And while we have had Tammy Abraham to rely on for goals and Mason Mount also with his creativity, they're not consistently uh, bringing that to the table. And I can't blame them for that because they're very young. And Tammy Abraham has done far better than we would have all expected. And in that game against Arsenal with the celebrations, the Drogba-esque, well, actually exactly like Drogba, those celebrations, that was just brilliant. He just feels with the fans. He knows what it means to be a Chelsea player. And that's something why I think he's won a lot of the hearts of fans. He certainly has won mine uh, by doing so. And, you know, he can't score every game. Today's one of those examples, but we'll talk about that later. Um, but it, I thought he was always causing them problems. And the way he turns, held up the ball. I mean, Mustafi was doing him a favour. I'll give him that. But still, you know, he, he did exceptionally well. So that's great. But if someone could supply him with these chances more or less the whole time, then that would, of course, make things far easier. It would also probably get... Our wingers into better positions, um, or the help in that regard. I thought Abraham uh, was amazing today. Actually, he 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 had their defense on strings the entire time. He was well, just he, winning balls in the air, holding it up, playing it off. He was playing really well. I thought today. He, yeah, but his. I mean, well, as I said, we'll talk about today later on. But one should yeah. keep one should keep in mind that his pass accuracy today. He, misplaced a lot. I mean, it's always difficult when you're under such immense pressure, especially against such imposing centre-backs as Brighton has, but uh, he could have definitely done better. He was good. I'm not going to trash talk him here, but uh, he could have done better. But anyway, returning to the Arsenal game, um, that first goal that we... Well, first goal, we only conceded one, huh? Emerson... (laughs) I, 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 you know, when we started recording our podcast, Ram, I was always raving about Emerson. I really do like Emerson. He's one of my favourite players in the squad, actually. I know a lot of people won't agree with that, but since he's come back from injury, he's not been the same. And that, that was very reminiscent of where Mara's eased past him. I mean, that was also on Kovacic, but still, that that was just too easy. And then they scored the 1-0. I mean, Hazmat, what did you make of that? Yeah, I definitely agree. He hasn't been the same player since coming back from injury. I don't know whether it's he's actually in pain and he's playing through pain or if it's more of a mental thing. It's either it's he's not confident on it or he's distracted by it. There's something going on there because he looks night and day from the player that we saw the first few games of the season when he was arguably Chelsea's best player. Um, So he's initially... I think Aspie at left back might have been my last choice, but I know we're not talking about it yet, but I feel like we're leaning towards that for the time being. And if Reese James can be in the team, I feel like that's, you know, it'll help the attack as well. But uh, yeah, the first goal, you have to be more aware. I know it's difficult. You know, we've had our struggles from those type of situations before. Um, it was just, it, you just, you felt it coming. It was just, it was just frustrating because you, you had the full ride up the wave, and then they get the goal. And uh, their record against us when they've scored the first goal was ridiculous coming into the game. I don't know if you guys saw that stat, but it didn't bode well for the rest of the match, at least from my viewing at that point. Well, I guess so, yeah. Um, but 
you know, when when you say that, in theory, it's never easy. Uh, Emerson's just not allowed to le- uh, lose him there. I, I know Aubameyang's a very capable striker, prolific striker, who just, you know, on a side note, seems to be wanting to leave the club. <laughs> but, um, you know, he, he nevertheless at least has to put up a fight. You know, if he had... And somehow influenced him, then maybe he wouldn't have been able to score as easily. Might have still nevertheless done it, but we you never know. Yeah, but just losing him like that—that's just schoolboy defending. And that's not allowed to happen at this level, and you know it nearly cost us. And Lampard will have agreed because he took Emerson off. He didn't have to take Emerson off. He could have taken one of the centre-backs off, but he didn't. Exactly. And, uh, you know, it paid off. But Emerson wasn't too happy about that. But I think he was more frustrated with his own performance because it was just catastrophic. That's why I was always for, you know, no, Emerson can be our first-choice left-back. But he needs competition. I'm sure there's more of a play in him. And he can be really good for Chelsea. But... That's why we'll need another left back, but that that's that's for later. Um, Ryan, what did you what did you make of Callum Hudson Doyle's performance once he came on? Because you were mentioning that before, and I think that has been it's gone a bit under the radar, and it shouldn't have against Arsenal now, of course. Yeah, well, I I feel as if he is finally on the on the upturn, I guess, because he was quite. I mean, he was he was quite. I mean, not very good when he came on in the last four to five cameos. Let's say he was not looking as fearless as he used to. He was not progressing well, or you know, taking on players actively, and he made some pretty bad shot choices. But in this game, I just thought that I mean, it did help that he seemed to have a bit more space. But he looked far more willing to run against players. And sorry, I mean, at this game, but that also applies to Arsenal because. He helped open them up. I, f- I feel as if his impact on the game was a little understated because he didn't directly contribute to to the goals, but he stretched their defense. He gave their fullbacks something. Something he gave Ainsley Maitland Niles something. Something to think about, and he was quite positive. So I, f- I felt as if that had an indirect impact on the game and that he did well. So I think that we have to consider Hudson Adoy taking one step at a time at this point. As Lampard said, he is continually having discussions with him um, during the during training and everything. And he knows what he has to do. It's just, it's probably going to be, I mean, it was always going to be a matter of time before he found his form. So I think slowly but surely he is going to move towards some sort of consistency and bringing him on when becomes less effective or William becomes less effective is probably just the best way to keep doing that. So he did that against Arsenal and I felt as if he built on it against Brighton as well today. He, I mean, he could have had a goal. I mean, he, he just missed. He did his typical shooting from the edge of the box thing. And I feel as if his, his short decisions got a lot better in this game. He moved towards the penalty area a lot more, a lot more in this game. Uh, overall, just making better decisions, and yeah, I feel as if the the only way is up for Hudson Doy. And if if the fans get on his back a little less as well, I have to say that then that can only be good. 
and uh, a little correction on myself. He was involved directly in the goal, wasn't he? Because he won the header against, um, I forget who it was, but he did win the header that eventually, against Ganduzi, I think, which eventually led to our counterattack that Ibrahim scored from. So, yeah, he, he was also directly involved against Arsenal. But the fact that I didn't refer to that also just goes to show that he did have a positive impact on the game. And I think that things are beginning to look well, finally. Before he actually got that header, if I'm not mistaken, uh, yeah, uh, he, he also he, gave the ball away. He actually yeah. lost the ball in, <laughs> yeah. in a fashion yeah. where I'd say, oh my did, God. Yeah. So Yes, he did, yeah. You can get that kind of uh, Callum and that kind of Callum yeah. nowadays. And that's, and down, of course, still a bit yeah, down. Yeah. something we have to keep an eye on. But for now, you know, he's at least finding a little bit of form again. Yeah, but yeah. definitely. If I could just break in on, on yeah, Callum. He's, um, the thing that struck me was how he looked a lot freer in the mind and his decision-making. Before, yeah. it seemed like he was hesitating and it really it cost him in terms of he would lose the ball or he would miss a window of opportunity to make a play. But when he came on against Arsenal, like Ram said, even, even taking away his direct contribution, there were very encouraging things about his performance. And, you know, it, Chelsea fans, they have a thing where they, they say all the right things. They say they're going to be patient. They're, you know, if they understand it's a transition year, but then when you actually get into it, you know, they get a bit impatient. So yeah, it's, it, the, okay. His the kind of the reverse the counter jerk as I called it against Hudson Odoi was a little bit disappointing to see, but his I think as his performances improve, we'll see less and less of that, and it's encouraging. Like I said, his you know he seems to be finding a bit of a good window of uh, performance, good performances, right, Jimmy? Yeah, I I agree. You know. We'll be still talking about him later when we talk about his performance against Brighton, where, you know, did have that one chance, which he should have at least brought on goal. But he's doing better, and I think that's the most important thing. When I was uh, doing the uh, community's favoured lineup against, or writing that together uh, against Arsenal, he actually got 7% of the votes. That is record low for Hudson and He's never been... I don't want to say dislike, but he's just simply not being trusted. Out of favour. Yeah, he's out of favour. He's not being trusted to be able to start this game and make an impact. When you think about how much, how many problems he caused Arsenal, and I know pre-season was completely different, Castle Fish, but um, last year under Sari, it was just you know like night and day, and yeah. Still is good, but I think we have to talk about another youngster here because that I know Jorginho was the made the head all the headlines nearly because of his impact and rightly so, rightly so. But Terry Lamperty, I mean, take a bow when when I saw his him uh, well his number go up <laughs> when I saw that he was going to be going uh, coming on, I was speechless. I know Shades Lamp- of Billy Gilmore against Sheffield United. <laughs> you know, it's it's yeah yeah it's, yeah that's true. Although he Billy Gilmore was then, you know, he was put in a bad spot. Yeah, yeah, and he was yeah. introduced a lot later. Lamptey was in yeah. the 60th minute or something, something it? like yeah. that. And yeah. it was it was interesting because one had actually seen before. I, I don't know if it was shown uh, broadcast on all of the 
um, TV screens. But while I was watching uh, the stream, you could definitely see that Frank Lampard wasn't so 100% sure if he should do it. But Jody Morris, and he said as much afterwards, was telling him, no, he's got he's got the what it takes to come on and make a difference. And I thought that was brilliant because that just shows the synergy between the two in the coaching staff. And also Tariq Lampard, I mean, he didn't let anyone pass him. I think he had like 100% pass accuracy. He was dangerous. That that first chance really in the game that we had was created by Lampard's pass to Abraham. He yeah, flucked it, it, okay? Yeah, but yeah. that kind of showed the team, and I think especially Abraham, hey, we can actually get past this Arsenal defence. And that was worth a lot. And that's just this typical, you know, in the youngster, yeah, big game, don't care. I'm just going to show what I can do, not think about it too much. And I, I thought that was just that injection of pace and fight that we needed. Uh, I, I absolutely... Loved him, and he was also on the bench today. Now, what yeah, did you was. make of him, of his performance? Uh, absolutely loved it. <laughs> I mean, it's it's what you come to expect from Tavi Klamte if you have been following the development squad and everything. But I mean, obviously, you, you don't you don't expect him to step up to an Arsenal game when we're losing. I mean, sorry, when we're I mean not losing, but uh, we when we need a win. You, you don't expect him to acquit himself that well, but but he did. It's, it's just, the, as you say, as you alluded to, the fearlessness of young players and sometimes really really does play in your favour. And Lamptey's skill set is obviously his pace and his tenacity to take people on. And that's uh, ultimately his, his fearlessness is what is what led us to our first chance. And that was... That was so positive, such positive play. And that actually gave, he actually started uh, pushing Bukayo Saka back as well. Because when you have someone like Lamte who is going to receive the ball in space and just going to push forward at every available opportunity, um, someone like Saka isn't going, to, isn't going to venture forward as much as he, as much as he would. And that had Aubameyang uh, tracking back as well. Um, and that ultimately reduced Arsenal's um, influence on the left-hand flank. So that was... A very surprisingly positive introduction, somewhat fortuitous as Reese James was out injured. But you you, ha- you have to you have to applaud you have to applaud Lamptey. No other way no other way about it. The, uh, I only hope that he doesn't leave in the summer because he's out of contract and a lot of clubs are circling around him. Clubs for whom his diminutive stature isn't an issue apparently. And he we we won't even receive compensation money if foreign clubs are in for him. So. The likes of Juventus, Barcelona, PSG, those are the names that I've heard that have been linked to Lamptey. So, yeah, it's it might be another Marcin Bulka situation. I hope not, because he's played for Chelsea and evidently the management rates him. So, yeah, hope. I mean, I love Lamp, basically. <laughs> Lampard, Lamptey. Quite the wordplay there. As <laughs> what do you say? Yeah. I'm not sure what else there is left to say. It was uh, exactly what you'd, you'd hope for, for a player, you know, next man up, the mentality, to, to borrow a phrase. Um, but one thing, one note that I think Ram didn't touch on is um, the whole, you know, it, it was, there was a lot of brouhaha made about when Lampard was coming back and all the coaches, the, the former Chelsea-affiliated coaches coming back saying, oh, they know, they know the club inside and out. Like, that 
that type of knowledge and feeling and vibe, understanding what the club is invaluable. And I think that's a bit overrated for the most part, except in a scenario like this, um, for to have uh, an assistant like Jody Morris, who the head coach trusts his opinion and his understanding of these kids who he helped raise, you know, in a footballing sense, um, just and being able to have that that link from the academy to the first team like they've been talking about it but it's not just talk this time they're actually doing it so it's a it's a small thing but i feel like it's a microcosm of the transformation that this club has taken in a short amount of time and under you know certain circumstances that dictated it but it is nice to see nonetheless do you guys do you guys think that as well absolutely i think that it is i mean that was a very good example of them knowing the club inside out because any other management team and they wouldn't know that Ray Clamte had it in him to do this. And Jody Morris was very, very confident of that. And mm. yeah, it, it's just, it's just moments like these, moments like these that just reinforce the nature. I mean, ju- just reinforce how different it is this season and how unique the situation is from literally any other management team taking charge of the team at this point. So it's, it's definitely something to take heart from and I hope that uh, I hope that hiccups along the way will not will not make us see things like that in any less of a light. Um, on that note, we will just take a short break as we've been recording for a while now. So, yeah, right. Uh, welcome back. And I I just thought this might be a pertinent time to think about where Chelsea are at this moment. I mean, we we've just crossed half the season. You know that when you're playing teams twice, you've definitely crossed half the season. So it's it's 2020. Lampard has been in charge for like six months now. And what what do we think about where Chelsea are at the moment? We're still in the top four. We've lost a lot of games that we have. We have drawn surprisingly few games. And it's all been a bit start-stop, very inconsistent. Something's really good in bursts, something's quite bad. In my opinion, that's basically the way I expect it to go. And the fact that we're still in the top four is a very good thing. And we're we're kind of surpassing expectations as far as I'm concerned. But I'm not sure if you guys agree with that. So, Has, has what do you think? I definitely agree. I mean, we expected the, the bumps in the road, you know, the ups and downs. It's a young, inexperienced team. I feel like actually the after, aside from the first game, the the start that the young boys had kind of lulled people into a, I don't want to say a false sense of hope, but maybe, you know, getting a little bit too excited too soon. Um, but for the most part, like you said, you have the ups with the downs, but other clubs' downs, you know, that should be competing with us have been probably a bit further down than ours and so yeah. for the most part i would say it's encouraging i just I'm, I'm ready to sign a petition to just aside from today play the rest of our games away because we seem to have well not seem to have we do have much better away form than home form so i don't know if if you jimmy would be into that but that's something to throw on the table well be into it <sighs> certainly fits the bill right now that we would only be uh, taking a 
We just can't play it. Yeah, uh, away, but it's. I'd rather have us address this. I don't know what is going on here, really, because it's just weird. Uh, I'm sure there'll be a host of factors that come into play, but I, I just, I'm really, really pissed off that, you know, Stamford Bridge, the fortress where I don't know how long we had that that defeatless streak yep, at yep. the start of the uh, decade, last decade now, haha. Yeah. Um, and it was always kind of a place where teams hated to come to. and They didn't want to play at Sanford Bridge. And at the moment, it was already partially last season as well. It's just not the same anymore. You know, Conta made it that that kind of a, a stronghold that teams didn't want to come to, at least in his first season. But it's been up and down and teams know that. And now you have a Brighton or you have a... Southampton that just can come to Stamford Bridge and, uh, you know, let us look like fools. Um, I'll just have to retract Brighton because, of course, we won against them at home. But, um, you know what I mean? Southampton being the oh, most yeah. prominent example. Oh. And that's just something that Lampard has to address. When we talk about mid-season reviews, you know, we, we have to, of course, manage our expectations. And, yes, that win streak did, of course... Uh, that purple patch made us believe, oh, this could go on forever. Of course, it can't not with such a young and, I hate to say, inexperienced, but it is the case, um, squad. Uh, but one thing that one has to address as well, and Lampard has to think about, is that he has made mistakes as well. You know, I, I don't want Lampard to be absolved from all the blame just because he's inexperienced. As a player, you can, you know, you, you can rely on the, the manager helping you out because they get better, need some game time, blah, blah. But for Lampard, he has to learn uh, how to manage quicker. I know this sounds harsh, but it's a hot seat at Sanford Bridge. And he has made some dodgy substitutions, some dodgy uh, team selections at times. Uh, his in-game management hasn't always been on point. Uh, of course, it was great against Arsenal. Don't get me wrong. And for example, where he outwitted Jose against Tottenham, also great. But against the lesser teams, it just seems to me that some of our players kind of they're kind of complacent. It's, it's there's not enough drive when when we are leading like today. Then one leans back if that's a tactical instruction or not. You know, it just seems as if the players are taking it too easy and. That's something that isn't allowed to happen. And generally just the mistakes that have been made, Lampard has to just try and cut them out as soon as possible. And I think that is something that has to be kept in mind and has to be said because Lampard hasn't been perfect. Far from it. And I say that loving Frank Lampard to bits. And I think he will bring a lot of success to Stamford Bridge. But at this moment, he's still very much prone to making the odd mistake every now and again. Yeah, of course. And I mean, you touched on it. Sometimes the tactics aren't brave enough. And I say brave. It's not brave to not set up in a back five, a destroying midfielder against relegation battling teams when you're at home. That's not mm. brave. That's that's what, you know, what you should be doing. And, you know, you could you know, that's true because the opposition manager pulled their player who at the time had scored eight of their last 11 goals was literally keeping them out of relegation. He showed up, they were wasting time from the 15th minute on. 
they showed up to S house ish house. And I, I know you don't want to swear on here, but, and we were and Chelsea were holding their hands and helping them do it. And it was very frustrating. And you could tell right away the, the initial reaction to the lineup, as I said, was consistent across these three games, but I feel like it was at its worst against Southampton at home. And it showed on the pitch with the result. Yeah. Yeah, very much. Very much so. And I think that is something that one has to keep in mind. Uh, yes, he is inexperienced, but he doesn't have as much uh, of the time that he will be given. I know he, they said that he has this season like a, a free pass and he'll be really um, evaluated next next season uh, due to all these constraints with the transfer ban and all that. But, but if he I, makes it up forward when he's getting a free pass, that's pretty good, isn't it? The, yeah, the way uh, yes. I lo- the way I look at it is he has a free pass for the season, but not for the game to game things that happen in regard to his growth as a manager who can take Chelsea yeah. to the next level. Because it that, really that, it, is, it is it is it is it is a tryout, but at the same time it's a tryout. You know what I mean? Mm. Yeah, no, I I know what you mean, and um, you you want to see signs that he is also evolving as a manager, don't you? Exactly. Doing things right, and would would you say that our our switches against Arsenal would go some way into the positive spectrum of things when you're looking at it that way? Yeah, definitely. I feel like it's it's up and down. Sorry, Jimmy. That, no, no, that, that's what I wanted to say. Thank you, thank you. That's, that's that. one example. That's one example of it going well. The, some of the the lineup decisions, like Jimmy said. Uh, you know, you don't want to repeat it too much, but, you know, and those are some of the bad ways. So, you know, we understand that he's still learning and going through it. And I feel like he's been praised maybe a bit much so about how adaptable he is. And I think there is value in being adaptable to a certain point. But I feel yeah. like at the other end, we've seen a bit of stubbornness. So it's it's hard to draw hard lines in the sand about it's been to say it's it's been all this way or all that way it's a mix it's a jumble it's going to change sometimes week to week but for the most part i think things are encouraging yeah no that, that that's a that's a fair way of looking at it Just on the southampton game that was it seemed quite egregious at the time didn't it i mean it still does because southampton actually they they outplayed us outplayed outfought outthought all the all the o's <laughs> but that was probably the worst performance I've seen us put in, to be fair. Um, so I thought that three, I mean, three at the back was... Uh, Lampard had this thing at Derby County where he really liked to stick to his guns in terms of what was working and what was not working. In the sense that it's, he, he abided by a pretty simple, if it's not, if it ain't broke, broken, then don't fix it. And I, I think that he kind of fell, fell prey to that when he started with three, three at the back in Southampton. Yeah. Because when you're, when you're playing teams further on the table, I, I think you, you can afford to be less pragmatic. And they're a side that will press you and will leave spaces in between. And that's what you should be looking to exploit. Um, also, yeah, shouldn't I mean, underestimate Hasenhut, or just had to say, Hasenhut was oh, a no, you terrific yeah. coach. And... He's quite good, isn't he? Yeah. And the, yeah. their, their play for the second goal was really, really good. Um, exactly. Yeah. I was about to comment on him, and it's not just him. It's so many coaches around the Premier League, not just the top teams, but 
even some of the lesser teams in the table have top coaches from abroad and you Graham Potter not, always not from yeah, abroad. Exactly. <laughs> not yeah, yeah. But no, but exactly. Even Chris Wilder and Frank Lampard, oh, yeah. good young oh, yes. good young English coaches. Uh yeah. Brendan Rogers is from Northern Ireland, but he's British, you know. Yeah. But yeah. um so yeah, up and down through the league, basically the point is there are good coaches. It's not just a lot has been made about, you know, the lesser teams have more money now. And it's of course, them having good coaches is a, a fact, a function of that. But you know, they they're putting good plans out there, and you can't, you have to come correct against even the worst teams in the league by standings wise. Yes, you do. Hmm. I mean, the thing is, that is that was kind of a. I, I don't want to say that it was obvious that it was going to happen because that would be pretty pretentious. But behind hindsight's, you know, a brilliant thing, a wonderful, wonderful gift to humanity. But the thing is, <laughs> when we when we played against Wolves with three at the back and it worked very, very well, you know, I know we conceded some late goals, but still we won that in ecstatic fashion. Mm-hmm. We then played the next week, I think, against Valencia or so, at some we played that three at the back more or less the next game, not necessarily in the Premier League, I've been told, but I think that was Valencia. Yeah. Was Valencia. And yeah. it backfired. You know, we lost that game one uh, nil. I know there was the whole Barkley fiasco, but leaving that aside, it just didn't work again. And I think that's something that Lamps really, really has to learn soon. Um, but maybe it'd be too much to ask that he'd immediately, you know, have this kind of, sense for which tactics work in which game. I mean, it's his first season in the Premier League. He has to get to know the teams and the managers. Uh, but still, you know, one of the things that one always loved about Jose Mourinho, and I know he's kind of a... Uh, Hot button uh, issue. Yeah, he's not necessarily liked anymore as much at Stamford Bridge. But one thing one has to give him is that he was always able to adjust his tactics, even though they were always these Mourinho park the bus tactics, but he was nevertheless able to adjust and adapt to the respective opponent. And that's what made Chelsea so lethal and so effective for a long time. And especially also during his second spell when we won the league that year, Uh, not so much afterwards, but still, you know, that's just something that makes a good coach or a coach, a good coach. And yeah, uh, right, right yeah. around this time is when it went sour. Right around this time that season, uh, as I can attest. But we don't have to talk about that. But I did want to make one point um, that is an interesting point about Mourinho and his adaptability. And it's also a really good segue to say, just to touch on Tottenham for one second, that Mourinho, I think, was completely caught out. And I think it, it could be due to, you know, Lamps being a new coach, his his system, he doesn't have really one set system so far. He prefers four at the back, four, two, three, one, but whatever. But I think I worked it out. I think the issue with um, when the three at the back for Chelsea this season works and when it doesn't. And I think it only works against teams that have a similar system. And now you'll say, oh, well, Tottenham, they didn't play three at the back. It's a four, two, three, one on paper, but it, in the actual team shape they do because Vertonghen stays back he tucks in and you know they have the two 
holding midfielders. They played uh, Dyer and um, who else was it? I'm forgetting. Oh, Musa Sissoko there. So they, they have, you know, five back to deal against counters and five forward. And yeah. I was initially worried going into that match as I was every match that I've seen us <laughs> start with a three at the back system um, that the area just in front, just outside of our box, just in front of the back line was going to be one right for uh, the taking for the Tottenham attackers. And it wasn't aside from that first opportunity where no one was marking, I think it was Sissoko on the cutback, but um, aside from that, it didn't, but I think, you know, that could be uh, something I'm sure the coaches are working on it. If I can work it out, they're probably worked on it you know, what works and what doesn't. So, but it'll be interesting to see how it develops going forward and what systems work and what players are preferred for them. Because we've seen a lot of chopping and changing so far this season. Right, Ram? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm, I feel that that was something he did at Derby as well. And there, there is just a continual change in who are the good options and who are the bad options. And just uh, a general lack of quality in the squad might have something to do with that as well because you saw the start of the season, Ross Barkley was playing some games. Now he's almost completely out of favor. And at left back, we've we've had like three different players try out over there now. I think it's even quality. It's not necessarily lack of quality, but it's a lot of parity. Mm, that's, yeah, that's, that's probably a better way to put it. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean... I'm not sure if that's a good thing or a bad thing. But it probably means that we do need to get some players, doesn't it? Because you have you have Marcus yeah, Salonso so. looking good only in a three of the back formation. And you have I mean he I'm also not sure in what type of situations Lampard sees us playing in a three four three and in a four two three one and four three three. Sometimes I think that when it's, he wants to be more pragmatic, but then he sticks sticks with it against like a lo- lower down the table side, and it's just I, uh, I feel as if he needs a little more direction on where he wants to go with the squad. Um, some people suggest that perhaps they want to shift to a three four three in the long term, as the academy have done for year on year, as Jody Morrison, Joe Edwards were there, and maybe that's why they want to buy another centre back, but. As we know, three four three four three hasn't always worked for us, and four three three has worked maybe more than more more than that even. So it's it's probably probably a good time to think about what kind of players we should be doing with, and what what kind of players we could do without in a long term view. Because my attention is immediately drawn to the left back spot where Emerson isn't. I mean, hasn't looked very good in recent times. He had an all-right start. I think people kind of saw it for better than he actually was because we were also playing well as a team. And then he hasn't been very good since, especially after the injury, as you said. And Alonso, yeah, a bit one-dimensional. And if you believe the rumors, then Inter Milan are interested in at least one of them. One day I see it's Emerson, one day I see it's Alonso. Either way, Conte wants, wants one of his men. And... Surely, left back is one place where we'll have to buy. Would you say? Would you think so? Depends who you're talking to, but I generally do nowadays. And I wouldn't. I just have to counter that. He was our highest-rated player at the start of the season. He was the one who was carrying 
a lot of the weight and driving forward was defensively sound. Don't care what Graham says, he was. And the thing is, that's being overshadowed by his crappy performances nowadays. Pardon my French. So I think one has to give him a bit more respect, but I agree we need a new left back. It's undoubtedly the case. Uh, I'm sure Has will say the same. Yeah, I think I think wherever your preferences lie with the left back conversation, I think that Ram makes a good point in that there seems to be pegs, and not just at that slot, but especially at the left back spot, there seem to be pegs for very specific holes. So it's like, yeah, Alonso has looked better than Emerson lately, but that's only in a back five. And when you go back three, like, I mean, back four, rather, uh, who's going to play? Is it Emerson? Well, we've seen now Aspie stepping in and, you know, Reese James coming in. I don't know if that's just rotation because Lamps has shown he's rotated heavily against what he probably views as teams that are not as good. I would hope he didn't underestimate Brighton because they can play football as they showed today. And uh, just side note, Graham Potter made a really good, change he went from a diamond to the 4-2-3-1 which matched our shape and did, after yeah. that they played well but um yeah i think left back is definitely a spot where we need to upgrade have a a, a more more of a hierarchy like you talked about um i think jimmy was the one that said it um or maybe it was ram i forget right after what i said the, oh yeah it was ram about the parody it's yeah. it's Sometimes good, sometimes bad. I mean, depth having a number of options is good, but you definitely need a hierarchy. Like, this is my starter. This is my my depth, my backup. It makes it usually indicates you know a difference in quality, a higher quality for your starter. And I think it makes it makes things go a little bit better. It's easier to pick your team, like we've seen. Um, so yeah, left back. There's a lot of options, but which I think is is good. Whether like in the Premier League or abroad, yeah, that is a good segue to the transfer talk. But uh, mm. Ben Chilwell was obviously an obvious name. His yeah. it depends on the price. I like him as a player, but it'll depend on the price as it does for a lot of players. Um, Alex Tellis is a, a popular name. I don't know. I'm not sure if he still has that buyout clause for like 27, 30 million or whatever. No, but not that I know. Of, no. It's already gone. All right. Well, he's he's always a popular name. Grimaldo is another one, although there are questions whether he's good enough defensively. But I think there is a, a decent pool of players that are close to moving to bigger clubs, different clubs that Chelsea should definitely be looking into. I'm sure that Ram has a few choices from the championship, but I feel I was going to say, <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> no, I, I, I was sorry. just going to say Liverpool are looking at Jamal Lewis, and you should take note of that. Is that a guy from the championship? No, oh, that's no, he plays, he plays for Norwich. Norwich, right? Norwich. For Norwich. Come on, Jimmy. Ah, uh, well, yeah, more or less championship. Anyway, Lewis. Um, Lewis, I think it's just a quick note on Lewis specifically. He's a little raw, but he definitely fits Liverpool's profile of yeah. physically imposing players. So, I, oh, I, I think mean, yeah. Take note of it in the sense that yeah, they might get a player with decent potential, but uh, he doesn't he doesn't move me that much. Yeah, one has to always think about Andy Robertson. You know, he came from Hull. We were actually linked to him at the time, and one thought, oh yeah, yeah, we were actually um, at the start of the transfer window, and then the Scousers came and 
bought him and you know it's paid off for them i i have to confess to that but um well you know credit where credit's due but my point is ben chilwell is for me the number one target that one has to try and get i know he'll cost an arm and a leg um in the january transfer window but if there's any chance get him yeah, I know Sorry. there's there's that, that argument. No, no, that's fine. It's, I, I get that argument. That's a very important argument to keep in mind. But, you know, I really do think that for several reasons, like the pay, different standards of football, which one is normally used to. Also, maybe even Frank Lampard's. You never know. Well, maybe Frank Lampard's not the most important factor here for him because uh, Brendan Rodgers is also British um, manager that's you know up and coming young but still I just I think there are certain aspects that do speak for a Chelsea uh, it's just about the amount of money that we'd have to pay and that would be probably Zaha money and I I wouldn't mind paying that you know, I, I'd, rather I, spend, I'd rather spend Zaha money on Chilwell than Zaha <laughs> exactly. So I, I'd yeah. be I'd be okay with that, in all honesty. Yeah. Um, I think didn't we see the other day the price though? I saw I thought I saw sixty somewhere. And if if sixty is the price, I think that's I think yeah I think it, it's a little overpriced, but not by a lot. It's it's reasonable by Premier League standards. And I mean the market for fullbacks has exploded the last couple of years. You know yeah. you've seen you've seen the amount of money that uh, Man City has dropped on fullbacks, and they they're still playing you know converted midfielders and wingers there. It's a, it's a difficult position to recruit in. It is, which yeah. which which bugs me even more so that we let Aina go for a song and took yeah. their player who's already gone. But that's I mean, that's a tangent for a different day. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's the next move at that spot will be very important. I mean, how long have we said, oh, who's going to be the successor to Ashley Cole? That's going on seven years now. You know, we've yeah. seen Felipe Luis come in, and I think he could have been good for a couple of years, but Mourinho didn't play him. He left. Ryan Bertrand before that, and then it's it was, a, you know. Yeah, it's been a big It's been a carousel. Yeah. It's been a carousel. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, that'll be – it's a, it's a pivotal spot. It's an important position in the game today. Yep, you're right. Mm-hmm. Uh, another important position is wingers, I guess. So let's let's assume – William is going to sign a new contract because apparently we are convincing him um, it should kind of be the other way around, but whatever. <laughs> we, yeah. we, yeah, so uh, I assume we're going into next season with Hudson and Dai Pulisic and William and Pedro has gone to Miami. Um, so do you like Wilfred Zaha, firstly, as... <laughs> mm, for free or... Uh... <laughs> Come on, Palace. Uh, be... I'm not for not for Chelsea, not for Chelsea. You know, I've I've been saying not for eighty million, surely. No, not for, not for forty, not for you know. I it would be hard to say. You know, yeah. I, I'm not gonna be a jerk if if he costs thirty million. Yeah, but I mean, you're not yeah. gonna go anywhere. He's just basically to me, younger Willian, who's probably not even as talented, doesn't have as high a ceiling. I'll say that maybe I completely. Willian is a bit inconsistent here and there, but they uh, playing style wise, they're very similar. They both they both need the ball so much to do what they do. And Wilf, as uh, shout out Simon, is extremely wasteful, like like historically wasteful in what he does. But 
that's you know he's all Crystal Palace have, but he's not the only option that Chelsea have. So for me, it's a non-starter. Yep. Uh, well, apparently, if if rumors are to be believed, Lampard is keen on which him. rumors? And which rumors? Who said? Oh, that, Tell me who said a, it. That, that, there's a report in Source the Times. The Times. The Times. Which yeah. Times? That's last decade Times. This is 2020, baby. War <laughs> yes. chest. Okay, war chest. But right. the thing is that um, today, after the game against Brighton, there were course questions consulting Lampard about this apparent Zaha interest, and he more or less, you know, normally we hear, "I'm not going to talk about this" from Chelsea managers, but he actually said, "I'm not really." Well, I'm not going to quote unquote here. He didn't say I'm not interested, but he's not thinking about Zaha basically. And the way he said it and the way it sounded doesn't seem as if we're actually interested in Zaha. We know because he's already said it before that we're interested in attacking options. And I'm sure he would have had different ways of formulating his answer. Uh, were we really interested? I know this is all speculation, but. From what I read here today and heard, I don't think we're actually going to get Zaha, which of course is great for most people. Uh, I only would want Zaha if he would be in the deal, including one of our strikers, preferably Olivier Giroud. Um, and he would cost far less. Plus, we'd still get Jane Sancho. Then I wouldn't mind having Zaha because I think he also gives you something different. And I, I don't I, I think it's harsh to say, you know, he's completely wasteful and, you know, he, he he's not, he, he isn't our only option. And yes, he is all that Crystal Palace have, but he has been single-handedly carrying that team for years now. And the only thought that I will give him is that he shouldn't have signed that contract extension the other year if he really did want to move to a bigger club again. And that's on him, you know, that they can now say, hey, we're not going to give him a, you know, let him leave for less than 80 mil. So, you know, I understand Crystal Palace, any team in their position would want that and you can't fault them for that. So it's a no-go. Uh, I agree. It's uh, providing that something doesn't change completely. Yeah. Yeah, Jimmy, you make you make good points, and I don't completely disagree with any of them, really. But um, just to shed some light, I don't think. I mean, it's a good idea in theory to send Giroud because he probably, as as when he was leaving Arsenal, he didn't want to leave London, so maybe he doesn't still. Or Batshuayi to Crystal Palace, who's already been there. Um, but I don't think it. I don't think it's likely because. Manchester United have a significant uh, sell-on clause for Zaha. I believe it's twenty-five percent. So that's oh, why that's okay. why they've been they've been wanting to charge so much money because a quarter of it is going up the road to Manchester as soon as as it's done. So that's why that's another reason I don't I don't want him because it's go it's going to take around that much money. That price isn't going to come down much further. And like you said, he signed the new contract, so he's. It's not like he's, he's running out at the end of the year and a club that wants to buy him has all the leverage. So I think that's significant. And one you know, a point, obviously Sancho is the, the golden prize, right? Everyone Do you think that's really going to happen, though, Sancho? Say again? Do you think that's really going to happen? We'll, we'll, we'll get to that in a second, but I want to I use him oh, to... Oh, well, he said right. Zaha. Exactly. Mm. 
um, that I feel like even people that are mildly in favor of Zaha, they, they have to couch it with, yeah, I wouldn't mind him, but if, if we have an, if we sign another winger as well, or it's like, Oh, I wouldn't mind him as a rotation option. You don't spend 80 million, 75 million on a rotation option. If, so if you magic. were to spend that much money for him, well, okay. Chelsea can't spend 75, 80 million on a rotation option. You should though, and, because that's how you get quality depth. Sounds but crazy, I don't, but that's I don't think, no, 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 no. This is how you get quality depth. You don't spend 80 million on Zaha. You spend 120 million on Jaden Sancho. And that makes Christian Pulisic now depth. That makes William now depth, whomever. And that's how you improve your team. You you get you buy better players. You buy a Ben Chilwell if he is indeed better than demonstrably better than Emerson and Alonso for Chelsea. You buy someone like him, and he pushes them down the depth chart. I or you integrate a Reese James, maybe Aspie's getting old, whatever. You and you integrate him for the next couple years of Chelsea. That's how you get better. Not buying Zaha for eighty million. I'm <laughs> sorry. I can't completely agree there because, you know, Zaha would be a good option. Uh, but this is all providing William leaves. Because if we do not have William anymore, then Zaha offers that different option. But but I don't I don't fine. think it's different. I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I don't think it's different. That's the thing. Two? If you were saying spend two William, I don't think it's different to William. No, if you're William not improving isn't... much in my eyes. You're not no, improving I mean, much. Generally has, I mean, generally, when William leaves, then you have that different option to Pulisic, to... Uh, Hudson Odoi to, uh, in that case, Jaden Sancho. That's what I mean. Not with William. Oh yeah, different. Well, yeah, different to in re- respect to the rest of the squad. But in terms of overall, like talent level, I, I don't think Chelsea as a first team squad get better, even if you're swapping William for Zaha, and especially with the money it's going to take to get him, you're better off putting that in other positions, other players. In my yeah, opinion. Sure. Sure, yeah. um, before we actually continue, we're just going to take a quick break. Welcome back to the podcast. This is going to be our last segment for the show. And we're going to discuss my favorite player, Nathan Ake, <laughs> who, has, who moved to Bournemouth in the summer of 2017 after being unceremoniously recalled from a loan spell six months in prior to that and not really playing much. So Nathan Ake has been doing fairly well at Bournemouth, to say the least. He is definitely their best defender. I mean, not that the others set the bar too high, but he is their best defender. He is, well, their most valuable player, probably, apart from Lewis Cook. So the question is, did Chelsea really need Nathan Ake? Because there have been... There have been whispers, rumors, articles about Chelsea may perhaps exercising that buyback clause. In an ideal world, he's probably worth more than 40 million if the current market rate is anything to go by where center backs are not center backs with Premier League experience and got a lot of years left are definitely gonna go upwards of 50 million. So if you're considering a buyback of Nathan Ake for 40 million, which is going to expire by the end of January, by the way. Do Chelsea really need to exercise it? Because we have four centre-backs. We don't know which one of them we might want to sell. So all your thoughts are welcome, Jimmy. 
I mean, which one to sell? I think nowadays we have a bit more clarity in that regard because at the start of the season, I, I was totally on board with that. I, I wouldn't have known who to sell because I wanted to give Kurt Zuma another chance. Andreas Christensen, I held in very high regards. I still do to a certain extent, just not at Chelsea anymore. And that's why he would be the odd one out. Uh, I must say that after watching Antonio Rudiger again today, I like Tony Rudiger because he just has this fight and this great spirit and he can be great in tackling, crunching tackles and yada, yada, yada. But the amount of mistakes the bloke makes, especially when passing, you know, he thinks he's this masterful passer like David Luiz because uh, all the faults that Luiz does have, we know that he can just cut through the entire team uh, with one of his long range passes. And Rudiger just doesn't do that. And he just annoys me a lot nowadays. It's just awkward. He takes too much time. It's, 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 the communication isn't perfect. That's why I, I'm always skeptical about him being a captain because he was shouting at players today uh, where I could have just as much made an argument for him to be at fault. He, he should have been more communicative. So we need a centre-back that is better than everyone that we have. Not only just uh, an Andreas Christensen, who's, well, more or less his uh, self-consciousness has been costing us. You know, He doesn't seem to be able to cope with the Premier League. We heard it with sorry quotes uh, last year. And every time when he has played, there's just been something about him. I said, well, why aren't you showing what you're able to do? And that's why I think the Bundesliga is perfect for him. It was in the past when he was at Gladbach, but it's just not quite clicking ever since that Barcelona game in the Premier League. Something's, you know, like a, a, a lever's, uh, a lever's been, um, <laughs> activated. And now he just can't get out of this slump like Alvaro Morata, because we saw at the start of the season when he was, uh, acquired. Yes. This guy can be so good, as we saw with Christensen, but that's just no longer the case. That's why we need a central defender, even maybe more than a left back, if you ask me. Because today I wasn't comfortable against seeing Rudiger and uh, Zuma. So if one does get rid of Christensen, then I don't think that Nathan Aki is the solution. I'm sorry. I, I do like Nathan Aki, and I think he'd be better than quite a few of our central defenders. But he's not the solution to our problems. So, yeah, it's it's not the kind of Virgil van Dijk signing that you'd want, although that's exactly. very difficult to have. You know, who who would be a Virgil van Dijk signing at this point in time? Because I no, couldn't... Nobody. I mean, yeah, probably well, like Ruben I mean, Diaz or something. But then, you know... Right, that, that was my monologue. Sorry. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah no, I was... I, I, I'm a boring guest because I agree with... A lot of what Jimmy says, and he agrees with a lot of what I say. I feel like it's yeah. He only disagrees with me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, oh, he has to. No, he, no, he has to. That's how you make it interesting, you know, because you you know the color of the boots of the the kid who plays in the English seventh tier, and Jimmy's just not into it. It's okay. Not everyone's <laughs> cup of tea, but but um, I don't want to go too long on Rudiger, but I agree with a lot of what Jimmy said about Rudy. He's not he's not the end all be all. You know what I mean? I. You know, personally, I, I wanted Van Dyke before we got Rudiger, but 
you know, he's good, but he's not he's not world class. He's not going to he's not the rock. You know what I mean? And we and Chelsea need that rock. And um, just one quick thing about how it, you're right. It does look awkward. I feel like I've been finding the the center back orientation a bit awkward this season. I don't know why, but Frank seems to love to put Zuma on the left and whoever else, except for Tomori, um, on the right. Uh, do you guys notice this as well? He does it with Christensen, with Rudiger, and it's like, I'm just, I feel like if they switched, it would be better for not only Zuma himself, but his partner as well. And Rudiger has, has experience playing on the left as well. But um, in terms of the center back options, do Chelsea need Nathan Ake? No, Chelsea do not. Could Chelsea use Nathan Ake? Probably, but I mean, he's not. I, I agree with Jimmy. He's not going to be the last center back signing that Chelsea need if he's the next one. If you know what I mean. Uh, he's of similar quality to what we already have. The only thing he, the only advantage he does have over them is that he's left footed. So, yep. and we lack a lot of left footers in the squad. But uh, aside from that. And so the the buyback clause that expires apparently after this January window, that is a big reason that I've seen people advocating for the signing of Nathan Ake. Like, oh, this player, you know, for forty million, you have to jump on it. And I feel like similar to the Zaha thing, if you have to justify the signing for reasons other than his play on the field and how he improves your team, it might not be the best signing. So yes, I feel like there is value in a Nathan Ake signing for 40 million or whatever the clause is, I forget. But like I said, someone else probably has to go, you know, it's just in terms of numbers and he's not going to be the answer, I don't think. So, uh, and and I wouldn't like for his sake, if he's not in, if he's not like in on the negotiations, I wouldn't like to see Chelsea buy him back just to sell him unbeknownst to Nathan. Cause I think that's unfair to him, you know, just him personally, but so I'm not sure. It's interesting, but it's going to come to a head soon because, like I said, the bio clause, I believe, expires after this window. So that's a situation that we'll, we'll see either way what happens pretty soon. Yep. Uh, that was a very good summarization of the situation. It's probably a deal that wouldn't hurt, but then the next centre-back that we sign should be a real, a real rock, someone who really improves the options that we have, as as you said, has. So we, we're we going to have to leave that on a slightly inconclusive note, I suppose. If, I mean, if, if due to nothing else for the pure lack, for the pure want of attainable options, that would be that way. Van Dijk was the last attainable one that went to Liverpool. So uh, maybe you might make a case for Harry Maguire, but then I probably wouldn't take him on that much money. That's probably probably a debate for another day and that's probably a debate that's past us anyway so our next game is against Nottingham Forest isn't it in the FA Cup and well, we're not going to preview that because as Jimmy said um, off the record <laughs> anything less than a Chelsea was not unacceptable in such a situation because I mean Nottingham Forest aren't doing too badly in the championship but then they are they're just going to be like a well-disciplined structure side, hard to break down. So anyway, expect a lot of young players playing or, I mean, second choice players who are in need of minutes and match fitness. That's probably what you should expect from the lineup. It can be literally anything, as Jimmy said off the record again. So we're not going to try and predict the lineup. 
let's let's just hope that Chelsea go and do the job there just as they did at Grimsby. Although it's probably is going to be a little more difficult. So speaking of speaking of Grimsby, just real quick, did you hear that yeah. Ian Holloway is going there? Oh, yeah, I did. Yeah, after after he said on TV that he would like to manage them, so that's if if you're a manager and you're looking for a job, that's the way to go. <laughs> yeah, and apparently, apparently he's getting like ownership stakes in the club or something. Is he really? Exactly. Okay, wow. There's some, yeah, there's some sort of deal in the in there. And he's, just he's a very, on... yeah. No, yeah, go but, ahead. No, go ahead. I was just going to say he's a very public figure nowadays. Has his own podcast and everything. <laughs> yeah, I've always I've always found him interesting. But um, just real quick, I noticed on Nottingham Forest. For for apparent, uh, I I've, for some apparent reason the kickoff time is just past oh one. It's not on the hour. It's not on the half hour. It's oh one. So what? Seriously? Yeah. yeah, there's actually a reason for that. I just can't remember. I read it on Twitter, uh, and there is actually a genuine reason that it's been provided by I I guess the FA. Uh, I'm sure there is. I'm sure it'll it stay the same. For well, well, I'm sure we're here. Yeah, well, I'm not sure about that, but I'm sure we'll still be hearing about that one. Um, I think the only area that we didn't talk about, but we run out of time, unfortunately, uh, that would be the striking position. I think it's all about whether we'd be keeping Mishibashwai or not, uh, and that seems not like a likely assumption if we're not going after Zaha. So, I mean, theoretically, could be in the deal for Jane Sancho, I doubt it, though. Um, after they got Haaland. So we'll just have to wait and see. I, I think that the striker position is actually one that isn't really in real dire need of reinforcements compared to the other ones that we addressed. So the wing, uh, the winger position, right wing actually, uh, central defence and left back. But we'll just have to wait and see. As said, we have run out of time for today. I would nevertheless like to thank Hazmat for coming on once more. And especially on his birthday, you know, sitting around talking with us about football, especially after a very disappointing result. Yep, yep. Doesn't happen every day. Thank you for that, mate. Yeah, I mean, yeah, the result aside, you know, this is this is fun for me. You know, you know, talking about football, you know, on a nice and happy new year right after celebration of, you know, a, a decade of Chelsea football, a successful one. And, and here's to another successful one in the uh-huh. 2020s, the roaring 20s. Chelsea's back, baby. Let's go. <laughs> uh, well, brilliant. On that note, I think we can end the podcast. Uh, we'll be back next week again, this time with more consistency because the holidays and uh, illness, unfortunately, have hindered us in that regard. But we'll be back on a consistent basis throughout 2020. I'm Jimmy Funnel, and together with my fellow host, Ram, we say goodbye.